y'all. Welcome back to Holler Back. This is season two. Um, as per your first season, I am Stacy Fugit. I am a senior now at the University of Kentucky. I am a political science major and an Appalachian Studies minor. And after college, I have the world at my fingertips. I'm not really sure yet, but uh, I'm planning on at one point pursuing a master's degree in urban planning, focusing in rural municipalities. Um, so yeah, downtown revitalization is something that I'm passionate about and I love Appalachia and that's why I'm here. Um, my other co-host, Michael Hamilton, actually graduated. So we have a new guy on the scene, um, also from Eastern Kentucky, um, and I'll let him introduce himself now. Hey y'all, my name's uh, Billy Debricks and I'm from Knott County, Kentucky. Uh, Hyman's the seed city for that. And uh, I'm a double major in political science and history. And I'm excited to be on the show. And we're excited to have you, Billy. And we have a very special guest on this first episode. She's rolling her eyes already at me. Uh, I always guess up our guest name. I have to. Like, I'm thankful that you guys take the time out of your day to be here. Um, but we have Miss Naoma Higgins Flores, and I'm gonna let her introduce herself and tell her what she does and yeah. Well, hi, y'all. It's really good to see Billy and Stacy again. Uh, I knew them since they were little tadpoles at high school, so I'm really excited to see them. It's young adults blossoming, doing some awesome things. Um, but my name's Neoma Higgins Flores, and I am the Associate Director um, for the Center for Next Generation Leadership at UK. Um, and currently, I work with dual credit and helping to develop dual, our dual credit initiative with high schools around the state. Um, I have a history of working with first generation students at UK with the Robinson Scholars Program. And then also before that working in Hazard Community and Technical College with uh, Gear Up and then at uh, Bluegrass Community and Technical College with uh, Talent Search. So my passion is really um, students, in particular first gen students. And above and beyond all of that, my passion is with first generation Appalachian students, um, because I was one myself. Um, I'm also, like Billy and Knott County native, uh, County St. Hyman, Woot Woot Patriots, and um, super excited to be here. Thank you guys for inviting me. Well, absolutely. We wouldn't rather have anybody else. Um, yeah, the UK website, because I wanted to look for your official title, the UK website said um, student affairs officer, so um, for the College of Ed, so that's why it says that in the questions um but yeah i forgot that you did tell me um you were working with dual credit how is that going by the way oh it's really going great we started our pilot in the spring with three schools i'm just trying it out and seeing how um it was going to work with those schools and then we picked up six additional schools in the fall so right now we're at eight schools total working with them um, around 250 students um, embarking on taking dual uh, credit classes with UK right now. So it's really, really awesome and exciting. And I'm happy to be working with students again. Yeah, you are so like that is your calling, you know. Um, you're just such a good shoulder to shoulder to lean on. Um, and I think that me and Billy know that very well. So how so you said it, what it's nine students total now. I mean, nine uh, schools total. Well, eight schools total that are doing the dual credit. So uh, yeah, so, um, in Fayette County, there's STEAM Academy 
And then there's um, Elkhorn Crossing, who's doing our dual credit initiative, um, Bardstown um, High School, Marshall County High School, all the way um, in the west part of the state, um, as well as Paris, um, Independent, who am I forgetting? We're getting more Eastern, we're getting more Eastern. <laughs> I know, Trimble. Um, we do have Logan in, um, in our mix as well. Um, they're not doing dual credit this semester, but they are in our network and working on our deeper learning initiatives. So we're working with a ton of schools, a ton of students, um, and really, really excited um, about this initiative. That's awesome. Um, I wish Hazard High School was on that list somewhere and maybe soon it will be. One can dream. Maybe. I mean, we're putting out an RFP for more partners probably in a month or so. So if well, that's to my people, listen, you need to tell them to look it up. I'll call Helen and tell her to. <laughs> she gets things done. She actually just runs the city and the high school <laughs> and she's the, the glue that is holding this county together. I'll all, believe that. all of Perry County is held together <laughs> by Helen. I believe it. Yeah. Uh, so we'll go ahead and get started with some of our questions. So how did you come into the role that you're in now? Well, the role that I'm in now um, is a role that I sort of um, blossomed into, I'll say, I'll say it that way. Um, once, um, after I finished, completed my work with the Robinson Scholars Program, um, I was hired in the College of Ed to work in the Ed Leadership Department, working with the recruitment of graduate students, as well as helping um, run the financial side for the Center for Next Generation Leadership. Um, and through a series of talks and discussions and shared passion about students and um, providing college opportunities for students in high school, uh, me and one of my colleagues, Dr. Justin Bathin, um, one day started discussing dual credit and how, how would it be so awesome if UK would get in the arena of offering dual credit to students across the state. And one day he snuck off on me and went across the street and proposed it. And he came back and said, well, I did something. And so I said, what mess have you got us into? And so um, he said, well, they like the idea. We're going to do dual credit. And so <laughs> we just started running from there. And it's been an amazing, amazing journey. He's like one of those girls on Instagram, like just did a thing. <laughs> they like, they like cut their bangs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna make them a shirt that says that I just did a thing. Just I know um, dual credit classes really helped me whenever I was in high school. It really set me up to be able to uh, go and look at other majors, add on the double major like I did, just because it. it I came in with with room to think about it. I didn't have to make my decision quickly. And immediately um, I was able to look at different majors take a class or two in different major different topics and uh, see what kind of what kind of double major I wanted to do so I ended up with history but, um, the dual credit classes really they're really beneficial um, I would agree Billy <laughs> I think if dual credit is done right I think it can be an amazing amazing um, platform for students to launch off of into college. So in addition to that, it teach, teaches some college going habits while students are in high school. So they learn to communicate with professors. They learn how to read their syllabus. They learn how to maintain their own schedules. Um, they learn what kind of rigor is expected in college. So, I, I mean, overall, I think 
dual, it can also lessen the time to graduation, um, depending on what classes you take and give you some wiggle room to do some, maybe some fun things that you wouldn't have done or had the room for in your schedule. So, yeah, it uh, really helped to prepare me coming in as a, as a first gen student because I, I didn't really know a whole lot about it other than what I had done through the Robinson Scholars Program. But, um, what does your day-to-day -day schedule look like? Oh, well, I mean, pre-COVID or post-COVID? <laughs> That's the question. <laughs> so, I mean, my day is pretty, um, I don't have a standard day, um, to be honest, but my day usually starts with answering emails um, I always like to keep, that's my first rule of always working with students in schools is that you have to be responsive. So I usually spend my mornings going through my emails, responding to students, responding to any school counselors, um, doing those kind of things. I usually have some student advising meetings that take place in the afternoon. And so in between that, I sort of schedule in my time to do planning, any meetings that I have college-wide or any team meetings that we have with NextGen. So like today we had a two-hour meeting talking about um, our process that we're going to embark on and getting new schools into the dual credit program. So we had a meeting about that today and created our game plan. Um, so my day split between serving, planning, and thinking. That's awesome that you don't have a standard day. I feel like that's the kind of job that I'm going to strive for, and we don't know what kind of job that's going to be yet. Um, I think on season one, I said I wanted to go to law school, so now the viewers are like, wow, she changed her mind again. Because um, I've been doing that since my freshman year of college. Oh, Stacy, I don't think that it doesn't, I don't think it's going to matter what job you do. I don't think you're going to allow it to get into a routine for too long. I do get tired. I do get tired very quickly. Um, God, I'm glad you know that about me. <laughs> Switching gears a little bit. Um, you're a first generation student. Um, Chris is as well, right? Your husband. Yeah. Yeah. We got a whole family of first generation students. I'm a first generation student. Billy's a first generation student. Both of our significant others are first generation students. Um, so, you know, I've talked a little bit about my experience as a first gen student at UK, but how was your experience? Um, I would say it's sort of like, being having some innate talent like say at a sport basketball you can play basketball um and being in your county and feeling like you know in your county you're the star player and everything's awesome and you can play and all that and then you show up to play an out-of-state team and they show up in fancy uniforms and they have the best training facilities and the best coaches and um everything laid out for them. They, they learn how to do different plays and drills and stamina and all that kind of stuff that you didn't have. It doesn't mean that I don't feel like I was smart or talented or that I couldn't do the work, but in order to get the win, I had to learn and adapt quickly and work harder to get there. Um, so, and I think that's really kind of the experience that a lot of students have. I mean, there were some things that I noticed when I got there, such as um, I wasn't necessarily as prepared in certain courses as I should have been, like math. My math and science courses, I wasn't nearly as prepared. Um, and it's because I didn't really have the knowledge that in order 
to prepare for college that maybe I should have been doing more AP courses in high school um, or taking advance of more ad taking advantage of more advanced level courses while I was in high school. Um, so some of those kind of things caught me off guard when I was there. Um, and then not having that, um, not necessarily being able to share your experiences with your family or your friends that were at home that, that weren't going to college because they had no reference, no frame of reference or understanding for what was really going on with you or why you were stressed. They had no idea what dead week that's not really dead, let's just say. Uh, they had no idea what that was um, or the struggles of living in a dorm um, or or dealing with a, a, a an off the hinges roommate. Like, I mean, it was, I didn't have anybody to share those kind of experience with or, or who understood the language that I was talking now as a college student. So it was a great experience. It was a learning experience. And obviously I survived it. I graduated um, with a degree in, um, in psychology. And then I went back and got my master's in social work. Um, so obviously it worked for me and I made it through, but, but it wasn't an easy experience. You were an underfunded program and, <laughs> but a successful one. Um, a very good analogy to the, the sports teams. I like that. Um, yeah. I, I had a similar experience coming in as a first gen student, um, coming, coming in from Knott County and having won leadership awards and all this and being recognized as, as, as being, I don't, I don't want to say something that sounds bad, like top tier or something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, as, as somebody who uh, has accomplished a lot of things early on and you get a lot of attention back home for doing that. Mm -hmm. And, um, I came to UK and I was really involved in high school and I came to UK and it was just totally different. It felt a little bit harder to be able to get involved, to find my place where I needed to be. Um, and just to get involved in general. Yeah. And I went from being in like 15 extracurriculars in high school to hardly being in any when I got to college. It was, it was, it was a shock. Yeah. I think a culture shock to say the least, because um, I know growing up, I always heard like UK, especially whenever I was, I found out that I was accepted into the Robinson scholars program. Um, I was told like, Oh, UK is so big. And I was just like, okay, like whatever. And I never really understood the severity of that statement until I had a, an, an economics class fall semester of my freshman year with as many other people as my entire high school. Um, so when I graduated 386 kids in my high school and then in my economics class, um, there were 405 total people. So um, I sat front row. <laughs> I was like, I know if I'm, I'm not doing that, uh, this isn't going to turn out well for me. But yeah, culture shock to say the least. And I think Billy that we were really accustomed to being big fish in a little pond. That's, that's a lot better way to put it. I couldn't think of how to, how to put it, but that's. No, I get it. Like, I just know that we were both told in like the fifth grade that we were gifted and talented, you know, <laughs> and, it's like, and it's like everybody was gifted and talented, you know, so like the bar was, I'm not going to say really low, but it was just like, we were just accustomed 
to being overachievers and that can really change. Um, yeah. The, the difficulty of what it takes to do that in at the at UK mm-hmm. or any big university is a lot different than how it was back home. Especially for a first generation student who like Naoma said, you know, doesn't have the, I don't want to say support system, but the understandings of people that have never went to college around them, you know, mm-hmm. um, like if I have an academic problem, I can't pick up the phone and call a family member and they're going to say, call the academic ombudsman, you know, like that's just, they're going to ask me who I should call. So, um, and that's, that's not a bad thing. It's just the reality of it. And I think that, you know, kudos to first generation students for, um, not to pat myself on the back, um, <laughs> pat away. but it, that's a battle that, you know, a lot of first generation students do have to have. Yeah. Um, Billy, do you want to take the next question? Well, let me add really quickly that I think it's another, it's a whole other ball game when you add the aspect of being Appalachian. Oh, for sure. On top of being a first generation student. Um, we come from rural environments where it's small and you already talked about, um, a class size being larger than your entire high school, you know, that's a common experience for, for students from Appalachia. Um, you're coming to a campus with a larger population than your whole county. Um, so, so that's a really, really intimidating environment on top of um, not necessarily having all of the support structures or the knowledge that you need. Um, and then on top of dealing with um, some of the perceptions that people have of of Appalachian students and, and our ability level and um, listening to professors talk about Appalachia um, and misconceptions about it. Um, uh, and then the extra layer of being an African-American woman from Af- Appalachia was another whole experience on top of that. Um, so, um, Finding, find, navigating my way through being first gen, through being Appalachia, through being a black student on campus um, was a challenge. It's, it's a challenge that I stepped up to and I learned from and I'm grateful for all the experiences that I had. But, but I'm pretty certain that it, it's not necessarily your typical experience of all students who come to college. Yeah, you've, uh, you've kind of touched on our next question. Um, we know that you work in College of Education now, but we, we, we'd really like to uh, focus some on your work with first generation students. Uh, we've already talked about how you were one yourself and you just touched on the next question, which was uh, going to be how do you think first generation students from Appalachia or more specifically Eastern Kentucky measure up to non first gen students. Um, you, you made a you made a really good point that I'd like to uh, touch on a little bit more um, coming to an area outside of the Appalachian region to an, to an Appalachian first gen student is very intimidating because you're leaving your comfort zone where other people talk like you. Um, you you've got the Appalachian culture you're surrounded by it and you come to an urban area a lot of that the, the Appalachian culture is not there um, the, the accents are, are gone, at least they're not as heavy. And it, and then also you always, at least I did always had this feeling that people, 
had a certain idea of how I was just because I was from Appalachia. So I always felt like there was this, this feeling of not being able to be good enough mm-hmm. as an Appalachian student it, to not it, be it, able to meet the expectations and to go on above and beyond. It's also this feeling of constantly being on display too. You know, like you, you feel sometimes as an Appalachian student, there's nowhere really to hide. As soon as you speak out in class, as soon as you say hello to someone um, in the student center, it's fully on display and all of the um, prejudices that people have or stereotypes that people have that go along with that, you come face to face with it every time you open your mouth. So, um, so I, it really is the sense of display, the sense of having to overachieve all of the time in order to and to overcompensate for for what other other people think and feel about Appalachian and and Appalachian stu- Appalachian students. And to be quite honest, um, the question was, um, how how do Eastern Kentucky students measure up? I think they measure up just fine. I mean, I think we're made of just as as good a stuff as anybody else. I think that we're surrounded, we have a different set of maybe cultural values um, and life experiences that are very valuable um, for other people to learn and to observe just as it is for us to learn and observe about other cultures and other people. And let's not mistake that being Appalachian is a culture, absolutely is a culture. And um, and I think that we are just as intelligent, just as hardworking, and just as capable. Um, I think the only thing that stands in our way really is sometimes the lack of resources that we were given while we were in high school um, and other people's perceptions of, of how well we can do. Yeah, I agree. I know um, when I first started taking classes at UK, uh, I was always afraid to speak out in class. That was my biggest thing because at that time I knew people like people were going to judge me and I was worried about it. Mm-hmm. That there would always be that person in the room that would immediately label me as uneducated or not on their level. And that always intimidated me, which I eventually got over it. But mm-hmm. that was, that was really hard when I first came onto campus. Yeah. And I think that that experience is similar to a lot of people's. Um, I've never, like before coming to college, I never had a problem speaking my mind, saying what I felt, um, being called the mouth of the South a couple times, and that's fine. Um, but I remember one of my coworkers at Target was like, Stacy, you're so witty. And I was like, thanks, Josh. That's really nice of you to say. And he could have left it there and it would have been great, but he didn't. And he's, this man looked at me in my face and said, actually, I don't know if you're witty. This is verbatim, by the way. He goes, I don't know if you're witty or I just heard your accent and thought you were dumb. And Josh, if you're listening to this, <laughs> I don't forgive you for that. I really don't. Um, so yeah, and that, re- and that was whenever um, I was starting my sophomore year at UK. And when I was just starting to get over the being shy in class, um, I just remember thinking that like, he thinks that then, you know, what am I, 
what do my classmates think? What do my teachers think? Have they set the bar so low that whenever I say something even mild, mildly intelligent, then like, they're like, oh, I didn't have to dock 10 IQ points for the way that she speaks, you know? So, um, yeah, and it sucks, man. Like, it's 2020. Let's not do that. Let's not on the way that we speak. <laughs> yeah. let's, let's just leave that in 2020. Let's just leave that there, too. With everything else, that's awful. Let's leave that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so something that our viewers may not know is the way that we all know each other. Um, now you said you had, you know, known us since we were, we were little babies. I think it's like, what, six, seven years now? Who knows? Um, let's not date ourselves here. Let's not do that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it was this wonderful little program. Um, and we've touched on it before on the show, but really not anything, um, in depth per se. Um, so let's talk more about the Robinson Scholars Program, which is how we met. Um, and Nay, if you want to give, you know, that was your job for years. So let's, let's let you give the rundown on it. Oh, well, it, it was, it was probably one of the, um, best six years of my life, I would say, um, most gratifying years of my life. Um, but the Robinson Scholars Program, um, was a program started by the University of Kentucky to give experiences and scholarship to students from 29 Eastern Kentucky counties um, to help prepare them to be college students while they're in high school and then provided scholarships, full scholarships for students um, to come to the University of Kentucky. Um, I was a student in that program. I was in one of the very first classes of that program. We won't say the year, um, because we're not telling that right now. Again, yeah. <laughs> we're not going to date ourselves. <laughs> um, but um, I was one of the very first, one of the students in the very first classes, as well as my husband. We met at a Robinson Scholar summer camp. Um, and so um, through that program, we had summer camp experiences um, and learned things about the University of Kentucky and then came to the University of Kentucky um, to be students. So whenever I started working for the program, it, it had a long history behind it and um, it had some successes. Retention rates were above normal, probably around uh, 50% or so of the students who, who came um, were being successful and were graduating. Um, but the university wanted the program to be more successful than that and to sort of do its second evolution um, and to think about how we could do the program differently and to create more success for students. So with that um, thought in mind, um, Jeff Spradling, the director at the time, and myself thought up the Robinson Leaders Program, um, which we worked with students. Um, we picked several students per county. We worked with them all through high school, gave them meaningful experiences, summer camps, um, financial aid workshops, ACT workshops, leadership retreats, um, advising and support services. Um, I would be in the car three or four times a week traveling to schools to see kids, to meet with them. Um, and then those students, once they were juniors in high school, could apply um, if they wanted to, to become Robinson Scholars and to get a full um, scholarship to the University of Kentucky. Um, through the program, I mean, the success rates increased. I think the last year that I was working for the program, the retention rates were around 95% of students who were Appalachian and Robinson Scholars 
that were coming to UK were, were being retained and were graduating. Um, and the average GPA was a 3.7 um, the last year that I was working there. So we had some really great successes. Um, two of them are on the screen in front of me. I couldn't be prouder. I puffed my chest out a little bit as a mom um, because I'm so proud of them. Um, and I, I can't imagine, I can't believe these little youngins that was running around Robinson Forest with me are just looking like these adults sitting here. Now you're going to make me cry on this Thursday evening. <laughs> and we're not doing that on this podcast. Stay, the host doesn't cry. That, that's just the rule. It's house rules. There's no crying in podcasts. Yeah, there's no crying in the podcast. <laughs> um, and it, I just really want to take a bit of this episode to shine a lot on how special this program is um because you know applying to be in it as a freshman and then going all four years of high school knowing a a support group and you know forming those yeah forming those friendships before coming into college was so important for everyone honestly because we came in with the network we and then we had to live with that network our freshman year um which was really fun baldwin was a hoot um me and edith kelly were the president and the vice president so if you lived in baldwin hall in 27 fall 2017 you're welcome uh, <laughs> but god yeah just so many meaningful experiences that doesn't even scratch the surface of what it really was um that i can speak for me and billy and probably all the other Robs whenever I say that you know that program is the reason where we are today and it's people like you Nay, um, people like Jeff and George and Jessica um, that really you know that we owe our successes to 100%. You know you're gonna make me cry on the podcast Stacey. The guests can cry. <laughs> no no <laughs> crying in the podcast. Yes yeah. not the hosts. <laughs> that program was really essential to uh, getting me and I know multiple others to where we're at today. And um, you mentioned the ACT workshops and just stuff as, as little as that was, was really beneficial because at that time um, I couldn't afford to do workshops. Couldn't afford to buy the study books. I had 30 minutes a day in school where it was devoted to studying for the ACT. And um, those workshops were really beneficial getting my score up. And they were really helpful. And then all the other events that we had, like you mentioned, Robinson Forest and the camps that we'd have there, um, making new friends, making connections, learning more about Eastern Kentucky, where we're from, um, preparing ourselves for uh, going on to campus. Uh, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine what it would be like to go to UK as a first gen student, not having been in that program. Yeah, and. My favorite story to tell um, whenever it comes to like summer camps and things uh, from Robinson is college boot camp. Um, <laughs> for our listeners, they're laughing because they know what I'm about to say, probably. Um, for our listeners, it was so my class was the only class to do it for two weeks. Every other class just got to do it for one, but no, no, no. My class, who is kind of full of heathens so i understand um <laughs> I, call, I can call on that because i love them <laughs> and i know them really well um but our class had college boot camp for two weeks and when i say college boot camp honey 
<laughs> they were giving us college classes, college work. But my favorite part was when we would go to class in the day and we would walk around um, UK's campus, you know, going to these different class locations and then come back to our dorms, which was actually farmhouse fraternity. So <laughs> shout out farmhouse. You're probably still the only fraternity that I love. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, we walk around campus and we come back and then, me being, you know, and a bunch of other people, like, being the studious, motivated, like, non-procrastinators that we were at the time, we're, like, sitting down to do homework, and everybody, and they, and Jeff, and all of them came in there, and they were like, okay, like, get on the vans, we're going to Champs, (laughs) and we were like, no, wait a minute, (laughs) wait, we, they're like, we're going to Champs for dinner, and I was like, no, but, like, I have homework to do, like, you all have put me in this calculus class and I, what am I supposed to do? Just know it. And I remember Renee looking us all in the face saying, listen, in college, you're going to get the opportunity to do homework or to do fun things. And you need to choose the homework, but you're not going to. So (laughs) this is a lesson in that if you choose the fun thing, it'll only stress you out later. And she was exactly right. And it did stress me out later. Um, But that's just like my favorite memory of like a real life application Uh, because I do that now, you know, I still sometimes choose the fun thing and then stress myself out later. And I'm just always thinking back, like they told me I'd do this. (laughs) (laughs) Wise beyond my years. I tell you, honestly, you were. I remember too. Um, with those mock classes, I had a, a law mock class. Was that, I can't remember, was that set up where we could choose like what field we wanted to go into for the two weeks? Yeah, you picked your major. Yeah, and um, I had a law class, and when I took that class, it really let me know for sure that I wanted to go into law and law school. So that, it was it was beneficial in that way too. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was probably beneficial for students as well because it may have been their first time being away from home for two weeks and um, beneficial for the parents. Just as kind of like a, a warm up to their kid being in college and being on campus for weeks at a time before they might come home. Yeah, it was not um, away from home that long. My mom cried. Oh, it's just as hard on your all's parents as it is on you. She still it cries. Really is. Sometimes. <laughs> That's how I know I'm the favorite child. My dad cried tears of joy because I because he was happy I was leaving. So well, you and all those girls <laughs> probably had my headache. <laughs> you and Connie and listen, we were perfect angels. We were um, pillars of the county community. Just saying. I didn't doubt that for a second. Um. <laughs> Yeah, so Robinson College Program, uh, monumental in terms of what it did in general, but also just um, for Appalachian first-gen students. And so do you think that there will ever be a program similar to the Robinson College Program reinstated at UK? And also kind of on the coattails of that question, where is it now? Because me and Billy are seniors, so we're kind of out of touch, and we know it's you know, kind of been disbanded because um, of like funding and things like that. Um, But I know that there is still some sort of scholarship for first-gen Appalachian students, correct? There is. Um, It's the Office of First-Gen Advising, I think. Um, And um, 
Martina Martin. She she's the director, and so they still provide scholarship funding and support for students once they get on campus. Um, what I like to think of the program now is it's in its next evolution. Um, so. Whenever I came in, um, I was given an opportunity to recreate and reformat the program based upon the circumstances of the university and the state at that time. Um, when I left, the reins were given over to another group to reinvent and recreate the program again. And I think um, there are bits and pieces of that program that, that lie all over campus. There are tons of programs that support students while they're there. They're still advising that goes on with the Robinson Scholars Program. Um, there's presence of things that were happening out um, in the community, like your 4-H programs um, that were helping assist students. So I think the program still exists. It's just not in the same, the same form in which we knew and which we loved and which we grew in. Um, and if I'm, a, a fan of saying if it's good it'll come back around right so things just tend to um, reincarnate themselves and come back in different versions and sometimes what was old becomes new again um, so if the universities is ever ready for it to be that same type of programmer again or it feels like there's the need for it again then it'll then it will probably will come back around if not, then they'll find some new way to serve students in the best way that the university feels that it can. Yeah, for sure. That gives me a lot of hope. You know, if it's good, it'll come back around. So um, I would love to start a scholarship program one day similar to Robinson. Um, so if we have any donors that are listening, <laughs> seriously, email me. Uh <laughs> Listen, Stacey, when you come into your millions, I have no doubt that it'll happen. It's gonna happen some way, I'm manifesting. Okay, mm -hmm. that's what I'm doing right here. <laughs> well, you can hire me and I'll help you, okay? Hire you? I'll put you in charge. Who would know it better than you? <laughs> Listen, by that time I'm about to be in retirement, I'll be a special guest. <laughs> yeah, you don't need another headache. <laughs> Billy, do you wanna grab the next question? Yeah, we'll just, we could edit this part out. Which one was it? Um, it is the, do you think that first-gen students have all the resources they need? Okay, I didn't know if we wanted to ask that because you had mentioned something a while ago and do it. Okay. Um, do you think that uh, the first-gen students have all the resources that they need to succeed at UK? I know um, we, we had a first-generation LLC living learning community when we moved on to campus and uh, there's, I believe there's you had mentioned an office. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's an office that's dedicated to advising those students. And UK, if nothing else, it is a plenty, plentiful with resources for students. Um, there's tutoring, there's advising, there's activities, there's mental health counseling, there's health services, um, there's off-student um, support, off-campus student support groups. So all those resources are there. Um, I think the difficult part for a lot of students and definitely for first generation students is finding a way to weave all of those resources together um, and to find those resources. Um, 
So just locating them and being able to weave them together and in, 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 into a quilt that, you know, protects them through the storms that they'll face inevitably as a student. Um, so do I think the resources are there? Absolutely. Um, do I think students may need, all students may need more guidance on, on how to use those resources, especially during their freshman year? Um, absolutely. Yeah, I think that there's kind of a, like that's the divide is, you know, there's all these resources over here, but if a student's over here, like where is that connect? You know, and I think, I wish that some things were a bit more intentional because during K-Week, although I love K-Week, um, and I think it's a great way for students to get involved and it's a great connect that students can have to those resources. I also think that it's a lot, um, you know, there are so many pamphlets being thrown at you and so like here's this resource and this resource and so I wish yeah there was just one place where and there may be you know like one place where a student could find could just tap in a search bar what they're looking for and then the resource that UK has would pop up I don't know maybe that's too like forward thinking I don't know. <laughs> no, um, I don't think it's forward thinking and I think UK is thinking every day on how to make students' um, lives um, and experiences on campus better. I, I think they are actively thinking about it every day. Um, and you're right, the amount of services that we have can be absolutely overwhelming because if you ask for it, if we as a student need food on campus, there's a big blue pantry. We can go get something to eat. Um, if, we, if we have a job interview and we need to interview for something, there's a place, there's a closet that I can go to get some clothes for that. If I need help figuring out a career, I can go and find that. Um, like I said, it's just really difficult sometimes for students to weave that together when they're overwhelmed. Um, and when they also sometimes students, because like you all said, we're all stars, right? And sometimes along with that, when we come to college, we have a little bit of pride and don't know where or how to ask for help or feel like asking for help. Um, makes us weak or inadequate in some way. Um, so I think um, I think that's always the challenge, especially on a large campus, figuring out a way to get these students, to get all students, and especially first-generation students, um, connected um, easily to what they need and get getting them really um, able to get through the flow and and in the nooks and crannies of, of the large university that is UK. Yeah, I, I think Stacy hit the nail on the head when she was talking about how your, your first week you come in and you're told all these things, kind of there's an overflow of information and that can be overwhelming. And especially during the first few weeks, I mean, you could, you could, you could go to an advisor for general advising and usually they could help point you in the direction, but during the first few weeks, which are crucial when you're coming in as a student, especially a first generation student, usually those appointments are booked because you've got advisors that are seeing X amount of students per day and some, some sort of resource, which it may already exist just to point you in the general direction during that time too would help because I know, like I've, I've had a question still today, uh, well in the past couple of weeks and I, I haven't been able to really get an answer on it just because it's the first few weeks of school, um, all the advising appointments are usually schedule related. 
and just being pointed towards those resources when you come in or whenever you need it, I think is really important. So what, what, if you all could build something, what would it look like? That's a good question. And I, I think that's the question that UK grapples with all the time is if we can build something to make it easier and better, what, would, what, what can we build? Um, so I, that's, a, that's a good thing to think about. I mean, you all have hit the nail on the head about one, one of the challenges and how do we get all that goodness from the pot into the bowl, so. Right, and I think it, I kind of think, you know, all problems have a root. And so I think that one thing is making students feel a lot more maybe appreciated or supported. And see, that's where the disconnect lies for me um, because I know that there are plenty of resources like we've been talking about um, for students. Hold on one second. Well, Billy will edit this part out. Um, you know, Eastern Kentucky people just come on your porch. Porch, <laughs> they just gotta stop and talk and. I guess trying to do a podcast, no problem. Listen, Lexington needs to adopt a front porch culture. I think. I agree. <laughs> Hold on. Well, while we're waiting. How am I doing so far? Yeah, we're thinking. You're doing good, Billy. I mean, I'm enjoying myself. This is the first one I've done, so I'm a little nervous. Wow. You are a trained orator. You should be fine. Yeah, all those years in speech. Tell you. Forensics, whatever it's called now. The speech okay. and debate always rolls up to the top, I tell you. Back. Um, that guy probably thought I was so rude, but I was just looking at him like, let <laughs> <laughs> oh, me drink him. <laughs> like, come on. Um, <laughs> so I'll just like restart what I was saying. Um, yeah, I think that there is a, with every problem, there is a root to that problem. And I think the disconnect for me is, I think that some students, because I am in student government, um, and so, you know, we take a SWOT analysis survey and an all student survey every mom. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> I'm recording this. <laughs> Woman. <laughs> I bit over my knee. I'm, I'm talking to her like she talked to me when I was a kid. She just, <laughs> she just walked out here and looked at me. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> like, what are you doing? Are you just talking to yourself, Stacey? <laughs> like, surely I told you what I was doing. God, I'm glad it's you, Dave. I'm glad it's you. Just invited her on and be like, Mom, what do you think? And make a special guest. <laughs> surely. Uh, but Okay, we'll just restart for the 87. <laughs> um, yes, I think um, that with every problem, there is a root to that problem. And so the disconnect for me is, 
because I am in student government and we do a SWOT analysis and an all student survey every single year, um, some of those results have showed that, you know, students don't always feel supported um, by UK or appreciated. Um, and instead, you know, we've had a, a few students say that they just feel like they're walking numbers or walking statistics or walking money bags, you know. And something that you do have to understand is that, you know, college is a is a business and so it is like a a money making thing but I think that also a lot of students I think the foundations of a solution could be making students feel more supported or appreciated if that makes sense and you know I don't have the answer for that because there are a ton of resources and um, you know I know that both of my advisors um, and countless faculty on campus if I needed them if I reached out to them and said like hey like this is going on I would feel like I know that they would be understanding and you know I I don't know if my situation is unique Billy what do you think about that do you think that it's more you know just like very few students feel like they can reach out to certain faculty on on campus and feel supported or do you think that like as a whole well i i know that uh some people feel that way mm -hmm. um, but i feel like I, I could be supported but it would take like going through email setting up appointments stuff like that i don't feel like i have anyone that i could just swing by an office and be like hey i need help on this except Nate. and except night yeah and <laughs> that's that's something what was he going to say i said listen i think you guys got spoiled is what i think mm -hmm. that's, that's what i mean yeah yeah you're, you're not you're not wrong <laughs> listen there's not many advisors on campus that you can just pop in anytime and sit there in their office all day yeah um, if they ain't got nothing else to do uh, <laughs> i'm a chit chat i mean i think on any campus because like you said it is a business and there are tons of people to serve and it's very difficult to develop those those relationships and especially when you come from smaller communities where it seems like those relationships are built in everybody knows everybody everybody knows everybody's business mm -hmm. um, everything is pretty much a casual conversation um, it, it's difficult to go from from that kind of environment to a larger environment where you have to put a little bit, it's starting over and you have to create a new foundation and a new set of friends and a new set of supports. Um, that's, that's, that's something that's, scary. that's something I was going to get, uh, about to touch on was Stacy mentioned a, a disconnect and I, I, I kind of, I, I understand that because like you said, with where we came from, we came from the same county too we had small classes if we had an issue it was always easy to just talk to the teacher usually um and we were able to develop to develop decent relationships with um with like a, a principal vice principal advisors and like you said just in general we can have a casual conversation with somebody and that's that's what i was referring to is I've, I've came here and I've went from always being able to get that support easily. And that's, I mean, which I can still get the support at UK, but 
it's, it's different. It's a different method of getting, going through the process of making an appointment and all that. Um, we've got professors dealing with hundreds of students at a time right. in big lectures. And before we had teachers with 20 people in class. Yeah. And, and, and I think you can focus on the, you know, like, the the negatives and the issues and like oh well this needs to be fixed and this needs to be fixed and i think you know being raised in eastern kentucky i think that we're also kind of raised to think oh well how do we fix it so um something we can a little food for thought something we can think on without a doubt i love uk and i love my experience that oh, I, had sure. I still wouldn't be there um but you know any place has its challenges and things that oh, sure. that it can work on and be better and um, have its next, um, have its next phase, its next reincarnation. And I think, I think UK gets better every day. I think there are a lot of things on campus now that when I was a student were not there. I mean, if they had been, um, my, my experience would have been even better. Robinson Scholars was really a group that really grounded me when I was there. And my advisor, who I don't know if you all ever got to meet Brad Gowen, but he was mine and uh, I could stop in and talk to Brad any us and always tell me that I was working too much and too, I missed my Robinson meeting and we would joke about it and then I wouldn't be on probation. So it was a whole, um, I found those nooks and crannies that made um, the experience great. My friends that I met while I was there made it great. And I think it's all about getting plugged in when you get there and finding your people. You have to find your people oh, for sure, yeah. when you get to campus. Um, and once you find those people, campus opens up a whole lot more to you and becomes a whole lot more digestible. Yeah, and especially once you get in your cohort, like, you know, you in, in upper level classes of your major, you're like, oh, I've had 28 classes with this person. So like, you know, I've never spoken to them, but I know their face and they know mine. So like, I would feel comfortable going up to them. So um, I think that that's a big part of it as well. Mm -hmm. um, well, thank you so much, Nay, for taking the time out of your busy, busy life um, and talking to us. It's always good to see your face and I'm sure I'll be stopping by your office sometime soon. Uh, mask on, six feet apart, um, or I'll just FaceTime you because you may not be on campus. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you know. Um, yeah, thankful for you, thankful for UK, um, the education that we receive here, and the Robinson Scholars Program, as always. Um, but before we go, do you have anything that we didn't touch on or that you'd like to add? Our audience should know any sort of plugs, projects, anything you want to say. This is your time. Um, I don't think I have any major things that I didn't touch upon. Um, just School is changing, the world is changing, and we need to change along with it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's a bumpy ride, but we need to enjoy it and learn from every, every bump we need to learn from. So I, I think that we're all doing the best that we can and that we're all learning the best that we can. And um, I think we're all going to be better humans at the end of this. It may not seem like it now, but I think we're all going to be better humans right. at the end of this adventure. Um, and I love you guys. I miss you guys and I love you guys. And I'm so proud of you all. And I love talking with you. Well, I miss you, all. Have you. 
I miss you all squatting in my office all day. I loved being a squatter, I'll tell you. <laughs> I took it for granted, I think. Actually, I know that I did because now there's no longer an office for me to squat in, so. <laughs> it's all right, there's still an office at 641 Max Wellington Court. That's true, there is an <laughs> office, it's just, I can't go in it without a mask and that's painful, so. Well, that, that's true, that's true. <laughs> But thanks again so much for being here. Um, Billy, you did great for your first episode. Um, Yeah, so we'll go ahead and end it here. Thank you all for being here, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in. This has been Season 2, Episode 1. Be sure to tune in next time, though, because we'll have Miss Crystal Good with us. She is an Afrolachian poet. And we'll be discussing her works and literature in Appalachia. Um, but in the meantime, I'm Stacy. And I'm Billy. And we'll holler at you later. <laughs>